Hey, it's DJ. Many of you have been reaching out to Adam and me over the past 12 months, and we've decided to extend opportunities to our listeners. Blue Spruce Holdings is excited to be offering investment opportunities to accredited investors. That link is in today's show notes. Enjoy today's episode. I'm Rod Cleef, and I'm host of the Lifetime Cashflow through Real Estate Investing Podcast. I'm also an apartment investor. I've asked Adam Adams to be an expert on a panel in Chicago with some other members of our multifamily mastermind group. This event's definitely going to sell out. We've got fantastic early bird pricing right now. So don't wait. Go to multifamilybootcamp.com, and Adam and I look forward to seeing you in person in Chicago, August 24th through the 26th. It's time for the Creative Real Estate Podcast, your source for out-of-the-box real estate investing strategies brought to you by realbluespruce.com. Welcome back to the Creative Real Estate Podcast. I'm your host, Adam Adams. I've done all sorts of creative deals. There's a lot of ways to get deals done, guys, and there's a lot of strategies. Kevin Bupp's with us today, and he's got a fantastic strategy. He has over 12 communities of mobile home parks, which is a little over 1,000 lots in eight different states, and he's about to buy 700 more. Kevin Bupp, welcome to the show. Uh, tell us a little bit more about your strategy and how you got into it. Yeah, as, as far as uh, how I got into mobile home park investing, uh, I go back a ways as being a, an investor. Um, back when I was 19, I got introduced to real estate. I'm 39 today, so 20, 20 years ago was my first introduction to real estate. I started buying single family homes, um, primarily to fix and hold, uh, but also did fix and flips along the way and some wholesale deals. Five or six years into that, I uh, started buying multifamily properties. That kind of led up to 2008. I'm just going to give you the real quick condensed version how I got into mobile home parks. And so leading up to 2008, the crash happened, uh, lost pretty much everything that I had worked for, uh, built up a very large portfolio of single family homes, pretty significant portfolio of apartment complexes and lost mostly all of it during uh, the period of uh, one or two years following the crash. And um, mobile home parks kind of came about just like my uh, entry into real estate did. It was unexpected and wasn't really planned. Um, I was introduced to a gentleman that was in the had been in the mobile home park space on the financing side for about 30 years, his entire career, and uh, he had retired and started buying mobile home communities here in Florida. This is back in like 2012, and uh, had lunch with him. Didn't really had no intentions whatsoever, Adam, uh, other than just meeting someone new, right? Expanding your network. Your your network is your net worth, right? That's kind of how Absolutely. I always think of these things. And yep. uh, I was like, I'm gonna go have lunch with his name's Randy, and. Um, I only had an interest in multifamily at the time. I was just going to go meet the guy. And I left a two-hour lunch with Randy, uh, and he piqued my interest in many different ways. Kind of blew my mind with a few things uh, regarding the, the niche. And I left that meeting uh, essentially committing to giving it a year of my time and dedication to not focus on multifamily, not focus on anything else, but mobile home parks. And to, the goal would be to either prove or disprove the concept or the asset class. And that's what I did. Uh, it took me a little over a year to buy the first community and um, bought that first community. And, um, you know, here we are um, 12 communities later. And uh, this is all we focus in. So that, that's really the, the 10,000 foot view of how I got how I got introduced to mobile home parks. Well, I have a lot of questions. First off, what part of Florida was this uh, with Randy? Uh, Clearwater. Yeah, I'm based in okay. Clearwater. Randy's okay. actually Randy's actually about um, an hour and a half north of Tampa. So like in the same in Tampa Bay area. Okay, so do you own mobile home parks in Florida then? Surprisingly enough, we, Florida has the second largest population of mobile home parks in the country, and mm -hmm. we only own one here. Okay, okay. <laughs> so uh, it's kind of ironic, but you know, just one. Gotcha. So what are the other eight states, the other seven? So we are in uh, Georgia, um, North Carolina, Virginia, 
Michigan, Kentucky, Alabama, and Maryland. So let me ask you a, a couple questions here. So how do you fund your mobile home parks? So initially, uh, the first first five or six of them were majority of my own capital with also some private investor capital. Um, more so just an independent investor acting as a bank for us. Um, and so the first, you know, I think it was five deals that essentially did on my own with a with one partner and then some private capital. Um, since then, we've uh, we just got done uh, last year. We last March we basically had a, a mobile home park fund that we um, that we launched, and we raised capital for a period of a year. Uh, bought five communities uh, inside of that fund, and then we're actually about to roll out in less than thirty days uh, our second mobile home park fund. And so, last year and leading into this year, and for the foreseeable future, it's going to be in a syndicated model, but in a blind pool syndicated model. That's okay. where we're raising capital in a general partner, limited partner structure. And essentially, you know, the limited partners are participating in a deal, both in a preferred return format as well as a uh, distributable cash flow split and a profit split in the back end. Okay. So you said equity partners? That's correct. Mm -hmm. uh, will you define what's the difference between an equity partner and, and debt? Yeah. Well, I mean, with a debt partner, you're simply putting some type of uh, security instrument in place. I mean, they're taking the role of a bank. The banks don't necessarily have ownership of the deal. Um, you know, there's a set term uh, based on the lending parameter. So uh, as far as like a debt structure, a debt partner would look something like this. I'll give you a, a, a basic example. Um, in our very first deal that we did a first mobile home park, we had a private investor that put up uh, $200,000 in a first lien position. And um, he was at 10% interest. It was a 15 year fully amortizing loan. And he literally took the role of the bank in that scenario. He was a debt partner. He did not participate in our cash flow. He did not participate in any of the profits. Uh, well, we haven't sold that yet, but he would not participate in any of the profits during the sale of that property. So strictly debt. He gets back, basically paid back on that $200,000 that he initially loaned, including the interest income as well. So that would be a debt partner, whereas the, on the equity side, uh, the money that we're bringing in uh, is essentially going towards, for the most part, the down payment and the capital improvements of the deals that we're buying. Uh, we are putting bank debt in place, and so there is a, a debt mechanism in place on all the deals we buy today. And so our equity partner is essentially putting up the, the down payment, the front-loaded money that's needed to take down these deals. But what they get in exchange for that is they get a passive investment where they're essentially our partner. Uh, they're our 50-50 partner. Um, they get a preferred return paid to them before anyone takes any money out of the deal. So after the debt service is paid, after the operating expenses, they get 8% preferred return paid back to them. And then after that, the cash flows are split 50-50. And so not only the cash flow is split 50-50, but any of the refinance, you know, if we did a cash out refinance, uh, any type of liquidity event like that, there would be a 50-50 split as well as a, a sale of that asset. So the profits on the back end, they also participate in those. So I mean, for all intents and purposes, they are a, they're an equal partner uh, in our deals. They just don't have to do anything. That's the nice. beautiful part. They don't have to do anything. They can sit at home, go out in their boat, whatever, and the checks come in. So we kind of call it mailbox money. Cool. Um, so also, as far as the blind pool fund uh, mm -hmm. versus, you know, a syndication where you would just do one deal and they'd get a look specifically at that deal. Could you talk to the listeners a little bit about that as well? Yeah, and I shouldn't call it a blind pool. You know, that, that that's kind of the common terminology, but I'd like to call ours as a, uh, they're semi-blind pools because we're not essentially just going out and raising capital saying, here's what we're going to do. Please put blind faith in us. Uh, like, 
and I'll give you an example of what I mean by that. Right now, we've got six deals in contract. We're going to be rolling out our second fund here in the next 30 days or less. And so, those six deals are going to go into that second fund. And so, there, we've already got a portion of the deals identified. More than likely, there's probably going to be 10 or 12 total deals in that entire blind pool fund. But it's again, it's kind of semi-blind because part of them are already identified. There's a chance that one or two might not close of, of the six we have in contract. So, it's kind of a semi-blind pool. Whereas, okay. In a deal specific, um, there's one property identified. Um, you typically know everything about that property. I mean, all the particulars are there uh, for the limited partners to review, uh, understand the underwriting of that one asset. Okay, so it's not blended together with multiple other assets. Whereas in our fund, we're going to have 10 plus properties once this fund is all said and done. Gotcha. Okay, perfect. So, what type of fund did you guys get set up the first time? And is same it the thing. Same yeah, same structure. Reg A, Reg. Uh, yeah, Reg D five hundred six C. Okay, mm -hmm. good deal. So, yeah. do you advertise that on your podcast? We do. Mm -hmm. Cool, awesome. And how big is the fund? Are you allowed to say? Yeah, absolutely. So the first one uh, we had it at set at ten million. Um, we ended up raising just under five. We we did turn a good amount of money away at the end, but it was more so we could have raised a lot more, but we wanted to be very. Uh, very, be very responsible with that first raise just to get the timing correct with the, the purchasing of the assets. So we essentially bought assets throughout the entire year, entire mm -hmm. last year. Um, the second time around, uh, we've, we're a lot more confident as far as our, our, um, our deal flow. I mean, we've got a massive pipeline right now. And uh, that's really the, the whole, that's the either make it or break it of a blind pool is anyone, I shouldn't say anyone can raise capital. Getting the capital is challenging, but like, if you take the capital in, you got to be able to deploy it very responsibly. And so the second fund's $10 million and we feel very confident in our ability to raise that amount of capital, but also deploy it uh, very responsibly uh, throughout 10 to plus, t 10 or 12 or more deals. Oh, great. We're going to probably go into some of the strategies on the mobile home park investing uh, with this fund. I wanted to mention, because we kind of talked about your podcast, you have two podcasts. One of them is called the Real Estate Investing for Cashflow podcast, mm -hmm. and then the Mobile Home Park Investing podcast, right? That's correct. Are those both active? Do you record episodes for each of them? Yeah, that's a good question. So the Real Estate Investing for Cashflow podcast, I've been doing that one about four and a half years, and I do re record weekly. Uh, we have re weekly releases. There was a period of time where I did eight shows a month rather than four. Mm. Um, and there have been some weeks I've missed, um, and it happens here and there, but that one is very consistent. Uh, the Mobile Home Park Investing podcast, I think we released about 87 or 88 episodes. And um, towards the end of last year, we went into somewhat of a hiatus, uh, but we're actually relaunching it here in a month. It just kind of changed the strategy a little bit. And so that one, Strangely enough, Adam, um, we have not recorded the show for a number of months now, but it still is remaining in the top, I think, like 10, you know, on iTunes wow. as far as our real estate investing. But it, it's a, we're very granular with our content. I mean, we really don't hold anything back. We don't have a scarce mentality. We've got very much of an abundance mentality. And so we share our business model, um, the inner workings of our, of our model, case studies on deals, challenges in the business. It's not just the very, it's not the high level point of view, which you get in a lot of shows. Mm -hmm. And so I think that's, allowed to remain incredibly popular, even yeah. though we haven't released any new episodes lately. That's cool. That's cool. And you can find these uh, to the listeners in at kevinbupp.com, and I'll put that into the show notes um, as well. So let's talk a little bit about the strategy for mm -hmm. purchasing these properties. So first off, how do you find the deals? Yeah. So just like a lot of people do, we do utilize brokers, you know, listed properties on the market, but that's not really our secret sauce. I, you know, 
Adam, I know that you, I believe you're in the single family, multifamily space, correct? Multi, yeah, multi. Yeah, multifamily. So it's a very competitive landscape out there. It doesn't matter what market you're in. It really doesn't. I mean, some are more competitive than others, but it's incredibly challenging to find um, great deals if you're only resorting to finding them through brokers, right? Because once it gets out there to the open marketplace, everyone and their brother bids on it. There's always someone willing to pay a little bit more than you, right? Always someone willing, willing to take a little bit less of a return. And so we don't like playing that game too much. We do play in that sandbox, but that's not our, our, our our bread and butter. Our bread and butter is a proprietary database that we've spent nearly five years building. Um, you can't just go out and buy a list of all the mobile home parks in the country. It's not possible. Um, and so we've literally databased every single market that we have an interest in investing in across the entire United States. Um, Research the you know, the park owner's home mailing address, his second home address in Florida, his cell phone number, his wife's cell phone number. We have all those intimate details. And um, so we do direct marketing to those individuals via direct mail campaigns and cold calling. And so we have a, it's essentially a full-time effort for us of doing that. Um, we are nonstop calling and sending mailers to these individuals. Again, to parks that they're very targeted that we have an interest in owning. So that is where 90% of our deal flow comes from. Uh, a couple questions on on those. You have their phone numbers. Have you ever used uh, slide dial uh, and dropped the just the voicemail? We have. Mm -hmm. Have you ever used a text message blast for for some of these? We have not, but we are actually um, we're just implementing Podio into our into our lead acquisition system, and so we will be using text, uh, not necessarily to cold text these individuals, but more so for the ones that actually respond to a, either a cold call or a direct mail as a source of follow-up. Okay, great. Okay, so once you find the deal, um, ha there's got to be a lot of ways that these are funded. Mm -hmm. So the have you ever done an owner finance or a lease option, something creative like that? Yeah, never a lease option. I'm not opposed to that, um, but we have done a lot of owner finance deals. In fact, I believe uh, half of our portfolio right now has been owner financed. At least five of them have been owner financed. And um, it's, it's a really valid strategy uh, in our niche. And the reason behind that is it's, this asset class is a very, it has a group of aging owners. The majority of the parks that, that we know today were built in like the 60s, 70s, and 80s. And there's a large majority of those that have first generation owners that are now in their 80s and 90s and uh, some younger than that, but for the most part, you find that they're owned free and clear and that the owners have grown very accustomed to this cash flow. And uh, also they've got a non-existing tax basis so that capital gains is gonna be a, you know, a significant concern for a lot of them. And so we found that owner financing is a, is a huge benefit for both us as well as a lot of these sellers. And then on the other half of the coin is you know, owners that have a plan for the money, right? They've got a kind of a intent of what they're going to use that capital for, what they're going to reinvest it in. And those people, owner financing might not work good for. And so we'll just get bank debt involved at that point in time. Okay, perfect. I've got a couple quick questions. So yeah. you did say earlier that you usually get debt against the properties, right? That's correct. Mm -hmm. So what kind of loans are you able to do with these properties? Yeah, that's another one of the I guess not, not challenges, but potential barriers in this business is you'll find that banks either get this net or they don't. And there's very few times that there's an in-between. Either they understand it or they don't. And so financing can be a challenge depending on the quality of the, the community that you're looking at and the market that it's located in. And so assuming that we're going to be able to get debt put in place, if it's under a million dollars, typically that's a community-sized bank. Um, anything under a million dollar loan amount, community-sized bank. And 
what we typically underwrite with, and it's we're pretty conservative, but what we typically underwrite with is a 70% loan to value. You know, market rates nowadays are, you know, somewhere like the mid fives for like a community sized bank. Mm-hmm. And um, uh, a five-year balloon uh, over a 20-year amortization. That's again, that's our conservative underwriting guidelines. We'll always push for a longer amortization if we can get it. You know, sometimes you can get them to stretch to 25 years, and or you know, a higher loan to value. Like sometimes you'll get that threshold pushed up to 75%. So, uh, but we always underwrite at 70% loan to value, 20-year amortization, five-year balloon, and right now somewhere in the mid five percent interest rates. Now, as far as financing on loans that are a million dollars or larger. Um, that's when a lot of the national lenders can get involved. That's where they actually have an appetite for the space. Uh, the options open up a lot once you're in that loan amount size or higher. And then once you get into like the $2 million plus category, $2 million loan amount category, and if it's a solid quality asset in a good market, even Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac are involved in the space. So there's good agency debt available. And there's also a few CMBS lenders as well. So the average Fannie Mae loan, you're looking at a at a 30-year amortization. Um, rates are hovering like right around 5% right now. I, I see, I've seen a few go just under 5%. Uh, uh, 10-year balloon, so fixed for 10 years, uh, and then 70 to 75% loan to value. So that's really the space that's the most fun to play in. Yeah. Uh, when you get that longer term fixed debt in place, it's just, they're very particular about the quality of the asset, mm-hmm. about the current occupancy and about the market itself. And so only about a third of our portfolio currently today as it sits would qualify for that type of debt. Okay. So, Is there ever a chance that you could do an 80-20 loan even with Fannie Freddie, depending on where it's located? That's, that's a good question. I'm not sure. I, 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 I don't want to even try to answer because I don't know. Um, I would have to guess that they would still want to see skin in the game. Are you, are, you, are you talking as far as like the seller carrying back 20% and trying to get in zero down? Is that what you're meant? I mean, is that what you're referencing? Uh, that No, I was just just specifically talking about the loan itself, but you know the strategy of being able to have the debt carried back, the twenty percent down carried back would be, a, a you know great strategy. I was just curious because sometimes we have a, a couple Fannie Freddie loans that we have, or um, or one that we're about to close on that are eighty twenty in the multifamily space. So I was just mm-hmm. curious if they have that option with mobile home. Yeah, that's a good question. I don't know the answer to that. Who's the twenty percent that's um, that's got the debt on your deal that you're mentioning? So the so we have a million dollar loan uh, or nine high nines, and that's a Fannie. So really, very interesting. Hmm. Uh, and th- this is a new acquisition. So- uh, the Freddie was, and the Fannie were just taking over a eighty twenty loan replacing the 20%. Okay. Yeah, with our investors. I got gotcha. you. So yeah, that's a good curious. question. I, I don't know the answer to that. that. That is a good question though. Most, most even even apartments are usually 75, you know, or 70. So I was just curious mm-hmm. why we're getting these 80s. Yeah, I'll tell you that. I mean, I just, just trying to paint a broad brush stroke. Mm-hmm. Everyone's throwing money at multifamily nowadays. I mean, everyone's competing for that business. All the lenders are competing for that business. So I feel like just comparing, trying to compare apples to apples of a mobile home park or our industry versus your industry, there's a lot more flexibility um, from all lenders as yeah. far as multifamily is concerned. Uh, I mean, I feel like banks are tripping over one another to try to give you guys money in the multifamily space, whereas us, um, there are a few that trip over one another, but it's not as prevalent. Gotcha. <laughs> gotcha. More so like we're tripping over ourselves to try to get them to take a look at this deal because it's such a great opportunity. You know? Yeah. 
Um, and it's just, it's just, again, it goes back to, this is a niche that either you understand, or you don't understand. It's not as big of a niche as multifamily, obviously. I mean, there's only literally 50,000 or so parks in the United States. It's such a small number when you really think about it on a grand scale. Yeah. I have a few more questions queued up before we go into the final five. I was going to, sure. so our, our cap rates, we're struggling to find eight caps in our multifamilies. Mm -hmm. Are you, what about you? What about your um, mobile homes? Yeah, so I don't want to really talk regarding cap rate. A lot of the things okay. we buy is uh, more value add. And so mm -hmm. what, what you find in our space, which it, it, it happens in every, every niche, but with these mom and pop owners, I mean, if you just really base it on a cap rate on their existing NOI that's in place, you're going to find that their expense ratios are much higher, sometimes double what they should be because they're wow. just they're running lots of personal expenses through there or they're mm -hmm. just mismanaging the property, which is very common. Mm -hmm. um, you also find that rents have not been increased in a long, long time. And so I, I'm yeah. going to give you an example. Um, this is this is one of many of the parks that we own today. <clears throat> it's very common though, like how we get into these. So we bought a park up in Richmond, Virginia. Uh, if you looked at it from a cap rate perspective, based on the existing NOI in place for the prior calendar year, we bought it mm -hmm. like a five cap, which we don't do. That's not our that's not our strategy. Mm -hmm. He was running <clears throat> he was running, I believe, about an eighty six percent expense ratio Holy on cow. this park, and uh, the park was in good condition. Uh, his challenges were, number one, his rents were below market. Number two, um, he owned a number of the units in the park, and he had no no um, screening policy in place for new residents. And so he was literally turning on average like two and a half residents per year. And so not only he'd go through eviction with these folks, but he would go through a rehab every time. So he was losing money hand over fist on his rental side of the business. Um, and so just those things alone, we went in and fixed. He had three people on payroll as well. He had his payroll was way higher than what it should have been. We fired two of the three, um, put a screening policy in place. This all happened in the first two months and, and did a, a, a rent bump. And within two months, we effectively bought that property on a 12 cap. Uh, okay. I mean, you know, so we got the expense ratio down to, it was like 40, 47% uh, is where we're kind of running at today. It's right where we're hovering. So that one we bought on a five cap, within a couple of months, it effectively was like a 12 cap and um, the cash on cash return is like through the roof. I mean, it's, it's crazy. Wow. So that is our normal, um, it's kind of one of our normal deals. Uh, we're really good at uncovering the value and finding those needles in the haystacks. And mm -hmm. so on a cap rate side, it's not really yeah. relevant to us, but what we can Got do you. in the first 12 months is really what we're looking at. And we're looking to hit a 20% cash on cash return. That is our 12 month objective. By month 12, going you know, from 12 to 24, we want to know that we can comfortably at the, be at the 18 to 20% or higher, conservatively leveraged cash on cash return. Great. I appreciate that. So with this one in Virginia that you found it at 86 expense ratio, mm -hmm. and you got it down to 47, let me ask you, what is typical for an expense ratio on a mobile home park? Um, it varies, but let's say a best case scenario, this is assuming that utilities are billed directly by the service provider. Uh, the park doesn't own any of the rental homes whatsoever inside the community, so they're not maintaining air conditioners, roofs, or plumbing or anything like that. Um, you could run as low as a probably like a 31 to 33% expense ratio, and that would be assuming it's in a market where the real estate taxes aren't you know crazy out of control like New York State. Um, and so you could run as low as like a 31 to 33% expense ratio. And then on the flip side of that, I've seen communities that they're running it efficiently, but they're in their lot rent, they're including water and sewer. Uh, when that happens, tenants tend to abuse it. They, they overuse. And so water and sewer expenses are really high. On top of that, it could be in an area that, um, that has extremely high property taxes. And then on top of that, there's also private 
sewer systems and well systems that exist in some communities where you have to have licensed operators. And so with that being said, kind of a worst case scenario, if it's being run properly, a worst case scenario, you might expect 50 to 55% and some of the, um, uh, the heavier um, management intensive parks that are gotcha. out there. Gotcha. I do have a couple other quick questions. So for you, do you focus on on buying the the land or the units themselves and or do you transfer them in a perfect world we would just buy the land but um in this business you have to be open to buying the units as well mm. so we own about 120 units today it's not by choice it's just part of the business and so our goal is to own none of those units uh, and sell them back to the residents as fast as possible but um it seems like we keep accumulating more faster than we can sell them off so <laughs> gotcha i mean essentially you don't want the headaches of the, the roof and the ac and the plumbing i mean you eliminate all that when you just own the dirt and you just rent the lot to them that's gotcha. all gone what type <laughs> of team do you need to run a successful mobile home park investing business yeah so our team's pretty lean um it's myself and i've got two principals um for our current infrastructure of 12 communities, we've got uh, a, an in-house bookkeeper. And then we have one regional manager that's kind of the layer in between me and the and the actual community managers. Because at each one of our communities, we have a dedicated, sometimes just one person, sometimes a couple, um, on-site managers. So they kind of, the on-site managers control the day-to-day. -day. And so I think today we have, um, W2 employee-wise, I think we have uh, like 16 or 17 something around. So it's pretty lean. Um, and we can manage that current infrastructure. I mean, we could double in size and still maintain that current infrastructure at that at about double the size we are today, we'll need to hire another, you know, what again, what we call as a district manager, which will be a someone that's assigned 15 or so communities to oversee. Awesome. Thanks for sharing that. So mm -hmm. we'll go right into the final five, but after these messages. Hey guys, I wanted to share something with you. Rod Cleef's invited me and some other members of our multifamily mastermind group to join him in Chicago for a three-day event for apartment investors who are looking to get that slight edge to skyrocket their success. I'm about to share a link with you. It's also in the show notes because I truly want to see you join us in Chicago. It's rodcleef.com slash Adam Adams. The event is super affordable but using that link will allow you to save an additional 20 to 30% off your ticket. I'd love to see you put yourself in the top 1% of successful multifamily syndicators by taking action right now, while the prices are still low. Go to rodcleef.com slash Adam Adams. What's the most creative deal you've done? Yeah, so we just, we've done a lot of creative deals, but one recently that comes to mind is a, uh, it's a, a note that we purchased up in Michigan. Um, it's actually brought to us by, uh, I met this guy through the podcast that I host. Uh, he's a commercial note investor, so he buys distressed commercial notes. He brought us this mobile home park deal. Um, he is not in the mobile home park space. He only buys retail or office. Mm -hmm. uh, he brought us his deal. He also, he's funded by a family office, so it's his family. Um, and, uh, so they've got their internal funding structure in place. He didn't want to do, do the deal on his own. And so he essentially brought us in. He put up 85% uh, of, the, of the equity to buy this thing outright, to buy this note outright. And uh, he's also running the, uh, not necessarily foreclosure because the owner is going to do, do a deed in lieu. He's going to essentially hand the property over to us. But so we got into this deal. Um, we're 50% owner in it, but we've only put up uh, 15% of the actual equity nice. due. And so, um, it's a sweetheart deal on top of that, this community, it's a gorgeous community. It comes with, well, it doesn't come with, but the owner also owns about 37 of the mobile homes in the community, which we want to own. We don't want to own those, but we do because we don't want him to have leverage. We don't want him moving out of the park. 
And so we have to purchase those. And so this family office is also going to fund 85% and we'll still have a 50% ownership in those 37 homes. So it's a sweetheart deal for us. Um, we got a lot of equity built into the deal right out of the gate and we've only had to put up 15% of the deal to do so. Awesome. What's a book that you'd recommend to the audience? Yeah. So I've been reading Pitch Anything um, by, I think it's Orcachet. I think I, I'm going off of memory here. I don't remember the author's exact name, but I think it's Orcachet. And then another one that, uh, that I've read many, many times over again is um, Meet and Grow Rich. So it's kind of a spinoff of uh, Think and Grow Rich, but it's really about the power behind masterminds and, and why you should either consider joining a mastermind or starting your own mastermind in the, you know, the power of many brains in one room together. I need to read that. Okay. Where were you five years ago from today and where will you be in five years from now? Five years ago is this really getting uh, the start into this business. I uh, was looking for that first community and was struggling financially. Again, I had gone through the crash in 2008, uh, really hard times, lost pretty much everything that I had worked for for many years and I had bad credit and didn't have a lot of money in the bank. And so uh, five years ago was a kind of the start of where I'm at today. Like that was like the, the revival period for Kevin Bupp. <laughs> mm. uh, five years from now, we've got some pretty lofty goals here internally as a company. Um, we've got our sights set on owning 10,000 lots, uh, mobile home park lots here in the U.S. And so that's essentially we're about 1,000 now. We'll be um, probably just over 2,000 by the end of this year. And, um, and so we've got a lot of growing to do. We've got to do eight more thousand in a period of four years. That's great. Thank you. Yeah. How do you give back? So a couple different ways I get back. Um, one thing, I'm, I've been involved in the uh, Big Brothers Big Sisters program um, for a number of years. I mentor. Uh, he was 12, 11 or 12 when I met him. Um, he's 16 today. So I've uh, been you know, just blessed to have that opportunity to interact with a, a young guy that's just kind of getting his start and um, you're trying to show him the ropes. He's got, he comes from a single mother, um, hasn't really had a father figure. So it's really rewarding doing that. In addition, um, I'm a big cyclist. That's kind of one of my hobbies. And I've, I've wrapped my charitable endeavors around my, my passion of cycling. And so for the last eight years, I host multiple events, but the main event is a 280-mile, three-day bike ride from Fort Myers Beach, which is here on the west coast of Florida, all the way down to Key West. Mm. Essentially, bring in you know 65 riders from all across the country that have to raise funds for this charity, and then we essentially go and feed thousands of families here locally and provide gifts uh, during the the Christmas season. So families that wouldn't have a meal or wouldn't have uh, gifts for their children to open on Christmas morning. We provide thousands, I think last year or last year, actually Irma caused some issues with our ride, but uh, the year prior we fed about 2,200 families in total. So, um, and in addition to that, we also do a backpack brigade where we put together backpacks of school supplies for, for children that, you know, don't have the money, the parents don't have the money to buy those types of things for them. And we give those out to different charities here in the area. So all this is fueled from my, cycling endeavors. <laughs> That's really cool. Yeah. How do people get a hold of you if they want to reach out and maybe if they're accredited and they want to join you in your mm -hmm. fund? Yeah, sure, absolutely. So if you want to learn more about our business, uh, sunrisecapitalinvestors.com, you can learn about our, our company, our mobile home park investments. There's a link there as well to our investment portal uh, to where you can get signed up to get updates on our uh, next offering that's coming out. As far as me personally, if you want to get in contact with me or you know listen to any of my previous podcast episodes, you can go to kevinbuff.com. Great. Thank you for being on the show. You've added a lot of value. And until next time, guys, think outside the box. Thanks, Adam. Bye. I'm Rod Cleef, and I've asked Adam Adams to be an expert on a panel in Chicago. 
Now, if you're like me and you realize you learn so much better in full immersion at a live event with no distractions and you want to do your next apartment deal, you need to text multifamily to 41411 or go to multifamilybootcamp.com right now. And Adam and I look forward to seeing you in person in Chicago, August 24th through the 26th. Thank you for listening to our podcast. It's our hope to add a ton of value to you. That said, Blue Spruce Holdings is excited to be offering investment opportunities to accredited investors. That link is in today's show notes. 